In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 13, man, we've got a great message tonight. We want to be able to minister life to you. Amen? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, it says, but go and learn. Say, go and learn. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Say, go and learn. What this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a whole lot in this verse, all right? And we're going to break some things out. I want to focus on God's kingdom mercy this evening, all right? I want to focus on God's kingdom mercy. Because, you know, the Bible's very clear. It, it communicates with great clarity from Genesis to Revelation the standard of God, meaning this is how you live for God. This is God's standard. This is his culture, his lifestyle, the behavior he wants from those who love him and are called by his name. Those that he's in covenant with. When he makes covenant with someone, when he's in relationship, there's a standard of living that comes from the king. Because again, when we were first created as humans, um, we were created in the image of God. So God desired that humanity would, would reflect his nature. So when he created man in the garden, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So he didn't want us to live different than God or do different things than God, but be like God. Amen. And so man was to have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth, okay? And so man was to rule, reign, have dominion because that's like God. And his rule and his reign is righteous, meaning that it's for the best interest of everything. In fact, God's the only one who could rule uh, all creation. He's the only one just enough to do it. But we were a reflection of that. Amen? Well, when man fell from dominion, um, then God comes in and through different dispensations has to communicate to man, show man, listen, there is a standard for living. There's a way to be righteous and right standing with the governing authority. Okay? And so he, through different dispensation, begins to reveal himself more and more. And we're in one of the greatest dispensations ever. And that is where God lives in us. You know, I was teaching a Kingdom Institute class, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, like a Abraham or, or King David or, or the prophet Samuel, all those that actually had the Holy Ghost come upon them so they, were, they could hear the voice of God in those contexts. But I could just imagine if they uh, came into this dispensation and all of a sudden says, you mean to tell me God was in you? Can you imagine? I mean, the, the nation of Israel, when they're wandering around in the wilderness, was saying, we had to go to a tabernacle where the press, and you mean to tell me he lived inside you? And he made the spirit that was in you that didn't know God leave, pass away and put a whole new spirit in you that was in the likeness of God, like what Adam had experienced in spirit, and then God himself lived inside your body? Right? Amen. Think about this. The whole thing is Christ in you. God is in us. What revelation? I mean, you just ought to wake up every day and say, Christ in me. Christ in me. 
Christ in me. Now, what does that mean? That means the reign of God through his word that you must read, study, meditate on. Because to have Jesus in you is to have the word in you. If you don't have the word in you, then Jesus isn't there. But when you get born again, the Holy Spirit will show up on the inside. Because it's the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That is the Holy Spirit. That's not Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. And he will bear witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. Then he will help get Christ in you in the context that he will reveal God's word in your spirit, man, so your mind can be renewed and you can begin to think and act as you were originally designed to do. Hallelujah. And Paul said, listen, that he wants us, this is God's desire, is that we would be found blameless in our spirit. And how is our spirit blameless? Because we're in Christ. We couldn't do that one. But also in our soul. Now, that's been left to our responsibility. We are to grow by the renewing of our mind. Amen. So that's our part. The word is the saving of the soul. That's not spirit, but that's our, our, our mind, our emotions, okay, uh, how we process and think. The word will change that so we won't think like the world anymore or under the old system that we used to live under, but we can live under a God system. Amen. But that's our responsibility. We have to do that. Then our body is to be blameless, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so our body is to get in alignment with the Word of God. It is to be subject to that. Amen. And it's here so that we can carry the message because we are inside this skin suit. The minute you leave the skin suit, you're present with the Lord. Okay? All right. So he desires that all three levels be blameless. And so here's man with this great opportunity to walk in the things of God. And there's this great standard. But man failed. And the minute man fell, God just didn't stay to standard in the context of, well, here's the standard. You've all blown it. I'm going to rightly judge you, and you're all going to be condemned. No, a thing called mercy kicks in. Now, this doesn't mean God does not want you to live to the standard. Do you understand? Mercy's not there so that you can blow it habitually. But mercy is still there. And Jesus says this. I go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Okay? For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Now, here's the thing. How many are actually righteous? Well, you can be righteous under the dispensation you're in according to what you know about God. But we also know this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even Abraham, though he lived righteous in his dispensation, still died and did not go be with God. Jesus recounts that he was in the grave and said, as he communicated, there was a rich guy that, that had a lot of wealth. And then there was this beggar by the name of Lazarus who laid down and named names and then said, and both died, and Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. So these are not like a fairy tale story. This is not a parable because he did not lead. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God is like, or the, the par a parable like, or he would mention parables. He literally mentioned names, and so these people literally existed. This is an actual account. Well, we know the rich man lifts up. He's not in Abraham's bosom called paradise. 
where he's in another place. Why? Because he didn't die a righteous man living according to the known will of God, and he was separated. And But Lazarus lived according to the known will of God and died in righteousness, although now separated from God. They're waiting for Jesus to show up. If you read Colossians, it says he led captivity captive. When Jesus went down, he freed everybody out of paradise because his blood now has been shed, and they received him. They had already accepted that he would come one day, and so when he was raised on the third day, he took them with him. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see they walked through the streets of Jerusalem. Wow. Amazing thing. And Jesus even uh, talked about this place that existed at the time he went, but it's not in existence today. He looked at one thief and he says, today you will be with me in, not in heaven, but in paradise. Because Jesus went to the grave. But Jesus on the third day came out of the grave. Can I get an amen? And so he led captivity captive. So paradise is done. And now Paul lets us know when we're absent from the body, we don't go to paradise. We go be with the Lord. And the Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Are you with me? Okay. So we see here there's this standard. We want to live this standard. But mercy has come into play because man has failed. Okay, and Jesus came to bring redemption to man, and he wants man to aspire and to desire, and he's equipped them to live to the standard of God. But when situations do occur and can occur, and failure takes place, God loves, God has mercy. Are you with me? So we have to deal with this thing called mercy. Because God walks in mercy. But we need to clearly define mercy. Okay? But before I define it, I want to make a couple statements. A heart of mercy will produce a lifestyle of sacrifice. Now get this. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. It's not that God doesn't expect us not to have some kind of sacrifice. Now, what does that, what do I mean by this? We're not just talking burnt offering and sacrifices, okay? What we're talking about is that you crucify the flesh. There are some things you're sacrificing in life because you know the mercy of God. And you have this merciful heart, and because of that, and you recognize God was merciful to me, and so I put on his mercy, which means then, man, I... I'm going to sacrifice things that I could do of my own, but I'm not going to do that for the sake of the Lord. I want to live to that standard. But now a heart of sacrifice will produce a lifestyle of self-righteousness. A person who just wants to sacrifice can get out and not have mercy. Why? Because when you lead with sacrifice, then all of a sudden you become the catalyst that you start to think, well, I do this and I did it, man. I got it right. Steve, you ought to get it right. You know, I did it. You ought to do it. Next thing you know, this self-righteousness can start manifesting. But see, when I have a merciful heart knowing that, man, I've blown it. I've blown it. I mean, I really blew it, you know, at one point that I wasn't even right with God. But because of his mercy, we're going to see this. I'm born again now. I called on his name, and I aspire to live 
for him. And I realized that he had a heart of mercy and I'm merciful and I can't look at everybody and begin to say, hey, you got to do what I do. Yes, by the standard of the word, that's true. But I want to lead my conversation with mercy, not with, man, I do it. You need to get it. Next thing you know, self-righteousness is kicking. And people who start getting in self-righteous don't have mercy. They actually become a Pharisee. And there's no mercy for you. Okay? You just got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Well, we do need to do it. But mercy, by definition, means this. It means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. So you understand, when you leave with a, a part of mercy, they're like, how do you live? Listen, man. I mean, I've blown it at times. I mean, I used to be separated from God, but God saved me. And now I'm following him. And listen, this life that I live that you're like, how do you do that? I do it because I know what he delivered me from. And listen, you may have blown it, but God's merciful. You understand? And the goal is let's get up and let's go live the standard. Now that heart sounds different than Look, I was sorry, I know good, and God got me right, and I do it right. I don't know what your problem is. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. But when you have a heart of mercy and you start to see people make mistakes, I'm not talking living habitually. We'll define that. Because sometimes God's mercy, I'm going to show you one instance tonight that you're going to be like, wow, that's mercy? Because mercy typically to us means we get away with doing something wrong. That's not mercy. That is not mercy, nor is it grace. We did not get away with something that we did wrong. You don't get away with nothing. Jesus paid the price for every failure. It cost him. Nobody's getting, nothing's all free. It cost Jesus everything. Okay. So understand, mercy's not showing up and saying, well, we're just going to let it go. That's not mercy. Mercy recognizes you messed up. Yeah, that, no, yeah, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the right choice. But God. See, mercy sounds like that. Mercy acknowledges there's failure, recognizes you didn't meet the standard. But guess what? Forgiveness can manifest if you'll repent. So let's look at a couple passages that demonstrate some mercy. The first one's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It says, And the lawyer stood up and put him, put uh, him, that's Jesus, to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What, what is written in the law? And he says this, How does it read to you? So in essence, what's the law say and how does it read to you? Which means, how are you interpreting it? You understand, a lot of people can read the Bible, but it's how they're interpreting it will determine their lifestyle. If grace to them means you can do whatever you want to do and God's got it covered because you can't do anything, then they won't ever be responsible with their lifestyle and they'll do whatever they want to, uh, uh, surmising that I can't do any better. That, that's how you interpret it. But that would be a wrong interpretation because grace actually empowers you to actually overcome the things in this world. Okay? But how you interpret it is how you live. Verse 27, and he answered... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, he said what is written in the law. He could have went with all kinds of different quotes, but he went with this one. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself. So again, we got a little issue here. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied, said a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest. A who? A priest. A priest, priest sacrificed was going down the road, and when he saw uh, him, he passed on by the other side. <laughs> Likewise, a Levite. So we got a priest and a Levite. Different responsibilities, but again, they were supposed to be people who were dedicated unto the Lord. Okay? Also, and when he came uh, to the place that saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, who was on the journey, came up, and when he saw him, he felt what? Compassion. See, compassion is not sympathy. Oh, man, I feel so bad for him. That's sympathy. Compassion is, man, I feel, I feel horrible for the condition they're in. What can I do to help meet it and change it? That's what compassion. When Jesus looked at the crowd and he says, he said, he saw, he was moved with compassion for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't saying, man, y'all don't have a shepherd. That's bad. That's, man, I hate that. I mean, I feel sorry for you guys. And then he walked away. No, he's like, what can I do to alleviate the problem? Okay, because the minute you get in compassion, you're immediately saying, I'm going to take responsibility for something. But again, we live in a society where most people don't want to take responsibility. So again, feeling sorry for someone and saying, well, I pray for you, but you really don't pray. Lord, take care of them. And, you, you know, there's, that's half-hearted, really. You know, you just kind of did your allegiance because now you've got to swear by your own hurt. I'm a man of my own word, right? So I said, I pray for you, but it's really not a heart of faith there. And then you go on because you never really had a desire to change them anyway because I can't change you. Only God can do that, right? Because he's in control. Okay. So, um, you know, but compassion does something different. Compassion says, what responsibility do I have? To help take care of this need. So he had compassion on him. Felt it, right? Verse 34. And, it came, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his beast and brought him into, uh, to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, talking about interrupting your day. On the next day, he took out two denarii uh, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. Which must mean the guy had a name with the innkeeper that the guy was willing to say, well, if he's got to stay more, I'll pay it, but he's going to pay me back. So the man had, must have been of some good reputation. Goes on and says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell uh, into the robber's hands? And he said, and he answered, the one who showed what? What did he show? What did he what? He showed mercy. Mercy is not a word. Mercy is an action. He showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So we first said, go and learn. Now he says, go and. So learning's not enough. And here's the problem that happens in the church a lot of times is we are coming to learn, but we're not going and doing. We'll go and learn by coming to church, but then we won't go and do in everyday life. So Jesus is saying, go and learn. So basically he's saying, go to church and learn. And then he says, now go from church and do. Can I say that again? He's saying, come to church, go to church and learn, and then go from church and do. So let's be doers of this word. All right? Because, again, I love the standard of God. I'm so jacked to be in righteousness. I love to be in righteousness. I love to be in right standing with God. Christ placed me there, and I keep myself in this realm, in that position, 
by not doing anything outside of God's will, knowingly. And if I did, I repent quick, say, Lord, I blew that. I knew your standard. I didn't do that standard. And I ask you to forgive me of that. Why am I asking? Because I know my dad is merciful. He's merciful. Amen. And if we don't watch out because we live a standard so well when we watch people struggle living a standard, although they are uh, uh, trying to attain to. Again, there's all kinds of different people here in the congregation. You know, there's this misnomer that the church can't do nothing significant till all carnality is gone. Carnality itself isn't sin to the point that, um, that we're being rebellious from God. Carnality, in its, pure, in its simplest form, is people who have yet to mature, so they still do some things fleshly, although they aspire to do things of God. So babes are going to have a level of carnality to them. Now, you can take it to another level where at that point you're just living carnal. And at that point, that's a problem because you're willfully just getting into rebellion. So you got to be careful because we're not sure where you don't always know where people are at is what I'm saying. And well, God can't move till all carnality's out. Well, I hope people are getting born again here. So I hope I'm keeping a level of carnality in the church. In the context, we're trying to grow people, not keep it so that people live carnal lives. You got to understand this. These are blanket statements. Now, really, by all rights, if everyone is moving towards God, even though there may be some levels of carnality in baby Christians' lives, in God's eyes, they're still actually just righteous because they're the righteousness of God in Christ, and they're living according to what they have been revealed to them by the Spirit at that point. Amen. So it's a lot more righteous than it looks like, even though someone mature says, whoo, man, they really shouldn't say that. What should they say? Man, I, man, this thing's about to kill me. This thing's about to kill me. This thing's about to kill me. You know, we just going to go under. We're gonna, they haven't yet learned the power of confession. So for someone who knows the power of confession, be like, man, you can't talk like that. That's carnal thinking, bro. You can't say that. That's it's carnality to you because you know better. But someone who don't yet know that truth, to them, they don't understand that. Hadn't even had that revealed yet. They're just jacked that they're excited. But yet on the other side, they walk out. And so what do we do? We go to grow them past that level. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So we see here we need to go and do the same. There was mercy that took place in this person's life. Okay? Now, again, this individual, they didn't do any, it wasn't their fault that this happened, right? And so here we are. You think, well, the world we should show mercy to, right? Anybody that's not with God, so let's show mercy. I mean, they live that way. They can't help it. They're born into sin. They committed the sin. They're probably blinded from God. I mean, sinners sin. You know, I don't know why we get shocked. I can't believe they're doing that. Sinners sin. That's what they do. So don't be shocked. That's their lifestyle. That's how they live. They don't know how to live anything different. You know, don't be upset about it. Try to d communicate truth and walk in love and demonstrate Mercy. Well, you know, they deserve it. The lifestyle they're living is it's against God. They're lost, so they don't know better. So why don't you actually go bandage them? I can't bandage somebody like that. We were all like that. And we all could have went that way in sin. We all could have been that bad in sin. Maybe we didn't go that far over in sin, but the reality is we all have the capacity so the worst sin you could think about, the worst person on the planet, you could have been, but for God. My point is, in those places, you still demonstrate mercy. 
And we would think, yes. But what about those who know something different? Matthew chapter 18. Now, Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, it says this. Another demonstration of mercy. It says, for this reason, the king of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So again, now we're getting a comparison of the kingdom of heaven. And so now that we're getting a comparison of the kingdom of heaven, we're going to start looking at some kingdom mercy. The king ultimately, for those outside his home, for those that are getting beat up and robbed, because who comes to kill, steal, and destroy? The devil. So in essence, the one thrown to the wayside is one that's been beat up by the devil, thrown into the world, and it's a part of the world. That's their life. They're going to get beat up, stripped, and left for dead. And so we, who should honor God, should have mercy and try to do things to help them. Do they deserve us to pay their bills? No. The reason why they're losing their money in the first place is because of their lifestyle. We know that, but they don't know that yet. So we demonstrate mercy in those moments. Okay? Understand that. Now, I'm not saying you do it every time with an individual, but there may be times you do that. And that person may, who's lost and not following God, begins to realize, I can manipulate and take advantage of you thinking that. But there may come a time that you're like, you know what? I've extended the mercy God's wanted me to do. God says, don't do any more there. I'll send another believer to show mercy. So again, God, be led by the Spirit. Gotta be led by the Spirit. But if you have a heart of mercy, you'll want to be merciful. Okay? So it goes on in verse 24. When he had begun to settle... The, uh, to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay it, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and, repay, and, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you what? Everything. And the Lord of the slave felt what? He felt compassion. Again, here's that word again. All right? And what? Released him and? And? Forgave him the debt. Wow. So the minute this guy leaves, what does he owe the king? Because where the word of the king is, there's? And when a king decrees a thing, okay, just as long as we know what happened. I want this to be clear. So the minute he leaves the presence of the king, he owes him zero. All right. Verse 28. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarian. And he what? Seized him and began to what? Choking, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. Sounds familiar, right? And I will repay you. But he was what? Unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Verse 31. So when the, his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Verse 33, or verse 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You, whew, 
you wicked slave who owes me nothing. Okay. <laughs> you wicked slave, I forgave you of all, all that debt because you pleaded with me. But you, should you not have, also had what? Mercy. What should he have had? Mercy. Now, listen. By all rights, is the slave entitled to the debt owed him? What is the standard? If you have a debt, you are to pay it. Legally speaking, the slave has a right to the hundred denarian. The king's not having a problem with that. The problem is what he did. Why couldn't he have said, all right, I'm going to be patient. So let's work out a payment plan. That would have been merciful right then. Nowhere does it say he had to forgive him of all of his debt as, as his was. Doesn't say that. But he did the very action that he himself cried out not to be, you know, put in that condition. So the Lord, okay, he says, he says, you should have had, uh, also had had mercy on your fellow slave, right? And then he goes on and says, um, he says, um, in the same way that I had mercy on you, verse 34, then the Lord moved with what? Anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed him. Now, wait a minute. He don't owe him anything. <laughs> Apparently, he owed more than money. Apparently, he was supposed to get something beyond forgiveness. He was supposed to get the character of the king. Apparently, the king, if you owe him something, not only can forgive what you owe, but he expects you to reflect his kingdom. And since you serve him, when you go out, then you should reflect his nature. And since he didn't reflect the nature, now he's got to pay that debt. It's amazing how many people want the forgiveness of Jesus without the nature of Jesus and reflecting. Let's go on. My heavenly father will also. Who's talking now? Jesus. Whose dad is this? Jesus. Whose dad is it also? Ours. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. Your will be on as it is. Okay, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brothers from the heart. Wow. Wow. So he's saying, listen. Don't come down to the altar just to be forgiven of your debt and plead with me. 
I'll forgive you, but go and do likewise and reflect my nature. See, when mercy is present, forgiveness is easy. But when mercy leaves, forgiveness follows. Have you ever got around a person, you know, and let's stay in the house of the Lord, all right? Because have we been forgiven? Man, we've been forgiven. I mean, seriously, he who's never sinned, cast the first stone right now. Stand up and throw it at me. Didn't think so. So that means all of us have been forgiven. Now, you may say mine's way worse than yours. One sin was enough to eternally separate you and be rightly condemned and judged by the king. Okay? So I don't care how big your list is. That's a whole other ball game based upon your prison sentence. But y'all going to prison. You disobey your parents, you're going to prison. You understand what I'm saying? That you need Jesus. You need a debt to be paid. But he's not just here for the debt forgiveness plan. He's there for the nature reflecting plan. You are to get my heart. He takes the heart of stone out and replaces it with a heart of flesh so that it's pliable so that you would then in turn reflect him in life. Okay? And I've seen it, man. All of a sudden, somebody, when mercy starts to lead their life, then next thing you know, they can't forgive their brother. I just can't believe that. I can't believe they did that. And they get offended, and then that offense puts them in a position that they walk in unforgiveness, and now, in essence, they feel entitled, which really they move to self-righteousness because they've been wronged. What happened to mercy? Now, again, mercy looks a little different. We're going to see. Uh, let, me just, let me just show this one example real quick. Uh, they don't have this. It's a bonus track tonight. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is the, uh, the end of um, David's life. You know, we'll pick him up in 1 Kings where he, you know, officially um, makes his son king and then passes away. But here towards the end, you know, um, Israel, you know, is having some struggles. And um, King David decides he's going to number everybody. And sends Joab out to count everybody, and that's not well with the Lord. The Lord was not well with that whole process. So the Lord sends the prophet back, not Nathan, but another one. I think his name was Gad. Uh, yeah, Gad came back and, and basically says, uh, the Lord's not pleased with what you did. And David's like, yeah, I sinned. You know, he felt bad about it. He knew he blew it. So he gave him three things. He said, famine for seven years. Three years, your enemy's going to come and you're going to run from him for three months or three days of pestilence. Now, listen to what David says in the 14th verse of 2 Samuel 24. You'll have to write it down. We won't have it up there unless they get it up before I finish reading it. It says this. Then David said to Gad, which is the prophet, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord for his Mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So God doing three days of pestilence was a merciful act. See, we think mercy is that we don't get in trouble. Sometimes our sin pays a little bit, and there's some mercy there still. Still. 
Hallelujah. So again, when we're talking mercy, we're not talking do whatever and there's no consequence for it. We're not saying that. But we're saying when, when you've blown it or someone's blown it, there may still be a residual of, a, of a accountability or consequence. Again, if you fornicate, that means having sex with someone outside of marriage and they get pregnant. Now, it's not the child's fault in the womb that you went out of God's order. But if you come in the spirit of repentance and desire mercy, I blew it. We should have never slept together. We should have, we should have never done this. It was wrong in the eyes of God, right? Okay, so God can extend mercy, but you're still going to have a child. I mean, that's not gone. Maybe you have an affair. Or maybe you, you stole money from a company. Right? God shows mercy. You ask, for, for, you ask for forgiveness. He shows mercy. You don't go to jail, but you do lose your job. Well, you know, see, mercy is not, oh, you keep your job. You actually get bonus and a promotion even though you try to steal from the company. Wow, God's mercy is awesome. That's not... Okay, there can be a residual of, of, of a consequence as a result of you failing to live to the highest standard that you are capable of based upon the grace of God in your life and the Holy Spirit who lives in you and guides you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? But we, we want to be merciful for people. We want to extend mercy. But mercy doesn't mean, okay, well, you ask God to forgive you. Great, I forgive you too. Let's just act like it didn't happen. God doesn't do that. God didn't say when David says, I feel bad. I mean, David, it's not the first time David's done something that wasn't right. I mean, we have a whole other account of another bad deal. Right? And what was David doing after that bad deal? He repented. Right? But he kept the woman. She had the child. The child got sick. He would not eat and fasted because what was he looking for? Well, God already gave him mercy, but the child died. The child died. Now, the same woman has another child, and he ultimately becomes the king. Amen. All right? So understand, God is a great God, and he is a merciful God, but there's accountability that God does have, and you may go through a season, and mercy's with you while you're having to deal with some issues that have stemmed from the problem. Are you with me? Okay. As long as we're clear there. Because, again, the last thing we want to teach is that if you're, you know, because people get around you, man, don't judge me. You know, just have some mercy. Have mercy. I'll give you some mercy. Let's have God mercy then. Because mercy should put us in a position to where we want to stay close to God, not I'll live like I want to because God will just continue to have mercy on my life. Okay? A lot of times we'll say, but for the grace of God. No, it's really for the mercy of God. Because but for the grace of God, if you actually would have tapped into the grace of God, you never would have gotten to the place that mercy was necessary. Especially after you become a believer. 
Because after you become a believer, then you actually are empowered with God's grace to actually overcome and, and, over, and, and defeat every form of temptation that would ever come in your life. It is literally plausible and possible. Yet we do fail. And God says a righteous man falls seven times, but... He gets up. Now, the problem is, a lot of times we want to do what we do, you know, in public, right? You go down, you fall down, you're like, you want to see if anybody saw you, right? You do one of those little trip deals, you're like, like it never happened, right? But sometimes they're just nasty falls. You're like, it's like slow motion. You're like, oh, man, everybody's seeing this right now. Oh, my gosh. Great. Then you just lay here a little bit. And you're like, oh, Lord. Will they leave? I'll just act like the Lord put me out, right? You know? <laughs> right? It's like Pastor Ronnie, man, when we were in Trinidad. I mean, he had a mistake, and he just tried to play it off. He fell off the platform. Had steps, and he went too far. Next thing you know, boop, 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 and he just started running down the church. Right? Just, right? But he knew. I fell off the platform. Right? And then he was telling, saying, Pastor Mark, he, man of God didn't try to catch me. And he was like... I wasn't there, but Pastor Marcus can tell you how it all went down, right? But, I mean, he, he didn't fall, but he, he was falling gracefully, right? Now, it's God's mercy. Sometimes we fall, and a lot of times we're like, I, don't, I want to just be over. The fact that we're going through restoration is mercy. The fact that I pulled you out of leadership and taking time to restore you is mercy. That's the mercy of God. Because it could have been, you're done. Get out. I don't ever want to see you again. So we need to recognize mercy when mercy manifests. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked in the, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You know what? I am so thankful that I have been a believer for so long that, you know, when you see people doing stuff, you're like, wow. Not that you're shocked. Because you realize, according to Scripture, this happens, right? But you're like, I am so far removed from that type of living that it's like foreign to me. It's like, I would never think that. I would never do that. I would never have that thought process, you know, because I have lived away from that standard for so long, right? But because I have doesn't mean that I start... No, because I used to be in the same condition, subject to the same type of problems, and if it wasn't for verse 4, but God. But God what? Being rich in, what was he rich in? In mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us uh, with him in heavenly places in Christ so that the ages to come we might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So again, anytime I'm around, even though I'm like, I, I can't even begin to comprehend why you're thinking like you are because I've been so far removed, but I can tell you right now, I have mercy for you because the reality is you need the same Jesus I needed. 
I'm not going to apologize and say, you know, I mean, my life's better. I mean, listen, my life's better because of Christ. And man, let me tell you right now, you can be different too, should you accept Jesus. Because again, what does the world typically do? You don't understand. I lived there once. Well, have you ever been addicted to, you know, drugs and you've been strong? No, I haven't. But I was tempted to do drugs and I overcame. Because again, if the condition for me to speak into your life is to be in the same failure you've been in and came out, well, then none of us are going to be able to follow Jesus because he was tempted on all accounts, yet never sinned. So Jesus don't know what it means to sleep with somebody. So I guess he can't help you when you fornicated or got in adultery. He's never been strung out on drugs, alcohol, been in an addiction. Yet he's the only one who can set you free. So again, it, again, it's religious, you understand? It sounds good. You know, I can only have somebody who's been through what I've been to speak into my life. Well, really what you're saying is I need somebody who couldn't do it like me. They did overcome, but they didn't overcome. It was Christ in them that overcome. In essence, you're getting really, in one sense, you can get the worst candidate because they failed once, and if they don't stay with the word, they can fail again because they've already proven they've done that. But Christ never failed. So sometimes it's better to say, have you ever been struck out on drugs? No, I need to get with you. Because there's no way you probably weren't tempted. You know, when I was in high school, or you know, when I, and I, you know, but I, I really just kind of shut that down. Talk to me about how you did it. Tell me how, because I want to be that person. Not, I don't want to talk to one that was strung out and, you know, God deliver them. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But ultimately, you know, give me, give me the stuff that we need to overcome and stay overcoming. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says this. Say, for once, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malicious and envy, uh, and envy hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To attain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who, uh, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishing, even though tested by fire, may by may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, attaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Man, thank God for his mercy. The last scripture tonight is this in Jude chapter, or obviously chapter one, there's only one chapter, but starting in verse 20, he says, but you beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Guess what you have to do? Keep yourself there. I said you have to keep yourself there. 
You have a responsibility to keep yourself in love. How can you do that? Make sure you have a heart of mercy. Because we're going to see all kind of stuff happen. We're going to see the world, and we got to remind ourselves, but God, being rich in his mercy, I'd have been like them. I'd have still been there where they're at. I still would be there. But God, being rich in his mercy. But God, being rich in his mercy. But God, being rich in his mercy. Then when we see our brother stumble, when we see our brother stumble, we can say, man, I know how God had mercy on my life and forgave me. Man, how can I not be merciful and forgive them? But they know better. I know they know better. I get that they know better. I realize they know better. But God, being rich in his mercy. Okay? I get it. Now again, mercy goes to the extent that mercy is being communicated by the Holy Ghost because we're going to continue to read. Look what it says. Verse 22. Or let's finish 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, meaning we're going to eventually take all this off. We're not even going to be in the sin environment. At, one, at some point, we are going to be in a divine environment of only the love of God. In the context that sin will not even be around anymore, will be dealt with, everything will be cast into the lake of fire that's in rebellion to God. It will be sealed up there, and those that are with him will be with him forever, walking in a relationship because they desire it, and because Christ paid the price for it, they walked in it, and they're living it for eternity with him, okay? But then we go on, and it says this, and have mercy on some. Now, this implies that there's different types of mercy being applied. So what we're fixing to apply here, maybe, isn't for everybody. It isn't the mercy for everyone. So have mercy on some who are doubting. So there are people, again, come on, man, just get it right. Believe the Word. Well, remember, there was a time you were having a hard time believing the Word. Listen, I know it sounds crazy. I get it. But I'm telling you, you just can't say something different because you're being double-minded, unstable in your ways. Listen, trust me, I've been down that road. You just got to be firmly persuaded in your spirit. See, you're showing mercy there. You're demonstrating that, okay? Then he goes on and he says, save others, which implies not everybody you're saving. You're not to extend the mercy to say, you understand, it's not your assignment to save everybody. Jesus did that. You just go demonstrate the mercy to those whom he tells you. Not everybody needs you to demonstrate mercy from you. God can send somebody else. Okay? Then he goes on and says, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, what does that look like? does that mercy get displayed? Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. That means you're, what are you doing? Come on. Now I know what you know. And we've got to stop right here because this thing's got to quit. You are putting yourself in a position that you're going to be put out. That's mercy talking. You want me to give you a demonstration of mercy? Are you in the Bible reading plan? Have you been reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7 the last week or so? Remember what he said in one of his chapters, I believe it's chapter 6? He says, I hear you got a guy in your fellowship that is sleeping with his father's wife. 
Now, I can't believe that this is going on. In fact, the things I'm hearing, even the Gentiles aren't doing the things that are happening and they are part of your church. Now, I'm not there, but I'm there in the spirit and I've already judged this matter. Put the man out. That's mercy. See, we try to candy, we try to take mercy, put it in this one little form and throw it out and be applicable across the board. No, it's not across the board because God knows what mercy needs to happen in order to help, help people get to repentance. He said, put them out. Don't have fellowship. When I said to you that you are not to be with the world, I wasn't talking about the world as a whole. I mean, people are going to sin. You can't leave the planet. But what I'm talking about is these so-called brothers that say they're living, but they're practicing a different lifestyle and they're staying in. I never told you to accept that. I told you to put that kind of behavior out, demonstrating mercy that we're not going to tolerate someone habitually and willfully walking in unrighteousness and not repenting to live Live to the standard when we went to you to get you to repent and get out of the relationship. Now, as a result of them actually doing what Paul said, when he writes the second letter to the Corinthian church, he says this. Restore the guy. Because guess what? He did repent. He got out. And now, because he did, guess what? Mercy did at this point. Mercy comes back and says, you know what? It was a tough thing for us as a church to have to put you out like that. But for your own sake, man, you got to realize God does not accept that at all. That's not his standard. And we just can't lay down and act like it's okay. But because you realize the fellowship with God was more important and that your relationship with God was more important and you, that, that example put him to, due to repentance, man, you know what? We apply the love of God to you. We won't take an account of suffering wrong. Come on back into fellowship. Let's begin to have a relationship again. Because guess what? Now you're acting like a brother. You're, you're, you've returned to a standard. And you know what? Man, we did some stuff that wasn't right either. But we came out of that just like you just came out of that. Now let's have fellowship again. And what do you do? See, you go to churches and all of a sudden so-and-so's there and then they're not there. And you're like, oh, what happened to them? And then they tell you, well, pastor, da-da-da-da-da. Well, maybe pastor didn't do that because, again, if you ain't talked to me, you don't know. Plenty of people talk on my behalf without me talking. Just like plenty of false prophets talk on behalf of the Lord and he ain't saying nothing. Okay? But if they're talking on my behalf, why don't you go ahead and come and ask me personally and I'll let you know. Amen? And then I'll probably call them in with you. That way we can get it straight. Let's just get it straight. Hallelujah. Because it's easy to talk about me and give you my, your, my side of the story from their vantage point without me ever being in the room. Right? I mean, if that's the case, I mean, I can make up all kind of good stuff and get all, manipulate the world, right? So it sounds great until somebody comes and cross-examines. All right. So my point is, is that here situations take place and some of it's like we're trying to have mercy on this person's life to see them come to the Lord repent and come back he goes on and says this now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God and our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion authority before all time and now and forevermore See, God's kingdom mercy 
is he recognizes you're in a bad spot. And he wants to help get you out. And how he applies that mercy is to get you to a place where you literally repent to say, I don't want to have a habit of this type of standard in my life. I want to attain to the highest standard of the Lord. And he's put it in me to live there. I can do this. All I got to do is believe and walk in. Amen. So listen, because Jude understood this and that we would have to deal with people in different levels of mercy, remember how he led it. He said, you need to build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because being full of the Holy Spirit will enable us to apply God's mercy correctly in each situation. Being filled with the Holy Spirit will enable us to apply God's mercy correctly in each situation. And God wants his church to demonstrate his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you. You're the King of kings and the Lord.